Good morning, everybody. So I've had a long time to prepare for today's homily. A lot about what I wanted to say for my last Sunday homily here at Wisdom. It was only sort of at the beginning of this week that I landed on a topic. It's something that I've preached about a lot during my time here, and that is the topic of the priesthood, Catholic priesthood. One of my very first homilies was on the priest as warrior or soldier. Talked about the weakness of the priest. Last year I talked about the priest as the stalker of truth. And then recently the priest as father and sign of hope. I figured I would end my time here with one last homily, a reflection on the nature of priesthood. And so I'm going to start by looking at the two women, young women, that we see in the gospel today. One young, one maybe not that young, sort of depends. They're both very similar. They're females. They both are struggling with some illness. But there's one major difference. One major difference. And that's that Jairus' daughter... Jairus, the, the, Roman, the synagogue official who approaches Jesus, she has an advocate, while the other woman does not. An advocate, advocare, it means to speak for or to speak on behalf of another person. Jairus, the father, acts as an advocate for his daughter. So I think in some way we can say, that the priest is an advocate for others, particularly the people whom he is called to serve. He speaks to God on behalf of his people, intercessory prayer, offering them up, lifting them with their needs to the Lord, particularly in the Holy Mass. The priest is the advocate. He is the mediator. And it's sort of relational. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Late relational means to, to carry or to bear. And so the priest, myself, I carry and bear your wants and needs and desires and bring them to God. But it's the woman with the hemorrhage who has no advocate. She has no one to speak on her behalf. And so you can sort of imagine, if you know anything about the Old Testament, a woman with that type of an affliction would have been considered impure. She'd have been an outcast. People would not have gone around her. She'd have been isolated. And so you can sort of think and understand what might have been going on in her mind and her heart. She had no one to speak for her. And so she instead, I would imagine, began to listen to the accuser. The accuser, whether that be her own inner self-critic, or Satan, who is called the accuser. You're no good. You're impure. You're never going to change. No one wants to be around you. You're unlovable. You're cursed by God. But when Christ comes, she fears that he is going to accuse her for touching him. But instead he doesn't. He sees her and he affirms her. He affirms her in her identity as daughter. I've said this a lot over the years. 
Jesus never accuses. Never. He affirms. He sees the goodness in this woman and restores her identity. She who did not have an advocate. She did not have a father to speak on her behalf, but she is still daughter, and he can see that. And so here we have Jesus speaking not on behalf of someone, but to someone. Jesus speaks to the woman, restoring her dignity and her identity, bringing about healing. And then a little bit later on, he speaks to Jairus' daughter, Talitha Kum. Little girl arise and restores her to life. And so that's the, the other side of the coin, as it were. The priest speaking on behalf for people, but also the priest speaking to people. Speaking to those who have been given to him. No accusations, but affirmation. Affirming them in their dignity and their value and their worth. As sons and daughters. And so this is something that I know is important and has been a big part of my ministry and working with the students, particularly over the course of the past seven years. I've been able to do a lot of work with young women, many of them filled with shame, insecurity, lack of a proper identity, and to be able to do my best not to accuse, but to affirm, God the Father loves you. You are good. Get rid of the shame. And I've seen many, many lives transformed, and it has been a source of tremendous blessing for me. And so here, here we have the role of the priest as advocate and affirmer, speaking for someone and speaking to someone. But if we think about it a little bit, this implies that the priest is not isolated. The priest is always seen in relation to the people he serves. He's not a monad out there. He is in relation to his people, relation to his parish. And if you look at the gospel, something that sort of jumped out at me, and I'm going to tell you why it jumped out at me, look at Christ, the high priest, in the gospel. At first, he is with the crowd that he's with in front of them because he is following Jairus. It's one of the few, if only, times in Scripture we see Jesus actually following someone. And so he here is following Jairus. He's behind. But then later on, we see when the woman approaches him, he's in the middle of the crowd, hemmed in as it were. And then finally, at the end, he's the first one to go into the house, bringing the apostles and Jairus and the other members of the family with him. Behind, in the middle, and in front of. I bring this up because about a week or two ago, Pope Francis gave a talk to some seminarians. It's one of the best things Francis has ever said. And he's talking to these seminarians, and he brings up this, that the priest is always seen in relationship to his people, either in front of them, in the midst of them, or behind them, in front, guiding and leading, in the middle, healing, listening, being present to, or in the back, picking up stragglers or defending from the attack that will come from behind. And so, this is a form of accompaniment, of availability, 
The priest accompanies his people, not just saying we're going this way, but I'm going with you. Availability for the deeds of the sheep and a willingness to look for those who fall behind. The priest is one who accompanies. And the context of what the Holy Father was saying in this, he was sort of speaking about clericalism. It's the topic we hear a lot about. Very big problem, it has been in the past, in the church. And he talks about the clerical, that somehow the priest is different, is better than his people. He actually kind of says that the priest is either above or on the side of, outside of his people. This is clericalism. No, the priest shares the same baptismal priesthood of everyone else. And so he has to be inserted in the middle. The shepherd has to be in the middle of the flock. And this is something that I realize is so true, because I'm going to be honest with you. It's impossible to be clerical here at Wisdom. Impossible. The kids get there at 7 o'clock in the morning. They leave at 11 o'clock at night. Constantly surrounded by people, whether it be families on the weekend or all of the people that are present in the cafe and all the events. Priests cannot be clerical. Impossible. And this is a lesson that I have learned from experience and one that I hope to be able to teach the seminarians got to be in the middle. But being in the middle is much riskier. Being in the middle is much, much riskier. Why? It's safer to be above or outside. To be in the middle of everything makes the priest vulnerable. The woman went up and touched him. It would be very easy for someone to come stab him. This is, though, part of what the role of the priest is. Why? Because, C.S. Lewis says, and I put it before, to love is to be vulnerable. Clericalism means I'm not going to love my people. I'm there. They're there to serve me. But if you're in the middle of it, you're loving people, and you are going to be vulnerable. And the priest is in a very vulnerable position, either for attack or for failure, of doing things wrong, of making mistakes. I've experienced during my time here in my priesthood both of these, fortunately, not too much. And it's easy, though, to let the fear govern. I'm not going to be in the middle because I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to make a mistake. I've got to be perfect. But you can't do it. As a priest, we cannot allow fear to govern because our call is to show the love of Christ and the Heavenly Father. But there's one more thing to notice. So we're kind of going over the gospel, is that when Christ encounters the woman with the hemorrhage and Jairus' daughter, he's not alone. He's sort of in the middle of a group of people, either the crowd or the family that goes into the house. But when he does it, if you pay attention, while he's in the middle of others, there is a space created for him to work. A space created for him to minister. So you can sort of imagine, here, Jesus is in the middle of the crowd, and he wants to see the woman who touched him. But the crowd's hemming him in. And then when he turns around, you can imagine the whole crowd spreading, and there's the woman right there. 
the space was created for that encounter between Christ and the woman. Then when it comes to the daughter, remember, he does it in the middle of the family, but it's space created. In fact, Christ sort of creates it at first because that whole thing of the commotion that was going on outside. He doesn't want that in the house. So the space is created as Jesus saying, no drama. I don't want any of this commotion. I don't want any of this drama. I don't want any of this gaslighting, you ridiculing me. Cast it out. I have nothing to do with it. So there can be a space. He's there in the middle, but he's not hemmed in. He's not restricted. He's able to act. And so this is sort of the whole point of what I'm trying to say. I want to thank you, parishioners and students of wisdom, for creating space for me to be a priest here at Wisdom. For creating the space for me, my own humanity, to be able to allow the Lord to work through me. Yeah, and this space is, is frequently the sacraments, coming to adoration, financial support, the prayer, because you can be advocates for me. I'm grateful for the prayers, people for me, the affirmation, the words of encouragement, the gifts. But ultimately, this space is a place of mercy. Place of mercy. Where, and sort of that zone of freedom we talked about, that we are free to encounter the mercy of Christ. Because notice, in the spaces that were created, Christ healed. He affirmed. He gave a work of mercy. And over my years, as I've come to know the Lord's mercy in my own life, I've done the best in this space that you have created, the Spirit has created, to be as merciful to you as possible. Sometimes, about once a year at 9 p.m. Mass, that doesn't work for those who've been to those Masses, but thankfully, people still keep coming back. But I want to thank you for the mercy and the compassion that you have shown to me over the years. As I'm in the middle of it, creating the space, but still being willing to show me mercy, it has formed me into the priest I've become. I didn't mention this at Mass yesterday, but I thought about it. Pope Francis talks always about the smell of the sheep. The shepherd takes the smell of the sheep. Indeed, yes, the shepherd imprints his own voice, his own understanding, his own spiritual DNA on the sheep, but he also takes the smell of the sheep. But you know what? You can't take a bath and get rid of that. I will still smell like wisdom when I am in Notre Dame. I will still have a piece of this place wherever I go. The smell of the sheep lingers. And so this space, this mercy that I am so grateful that you have shown to me, I know that you are going to show to Father Patrick Broussard. Creating that space for him to be able to minister. Because he doesn't know it's about to hit him. Or actually, he probably does. Create that space for his mercy. When I got here, I was a priest for 10 years. He's been a priest for about seven. But I was a pastor for five. He's only been one for two. 
please create that space of mercy and encounter for Father. In conclusion, one last thing to notice in analyzing today's gospel, that it, it's not these stationary events are not purely stationary. They are within the context of Jesus traveling somewhere. Traveling and going somewhere. Following Jairus to his house. Jesus, with the crowd, is going to the Father's house. And so it has been a tremendous joy for me to have been your shepherd these past 11 years, I've guided you to the Father's house, but along with you on the same journey. And while I may no longer be the shepherd in the middle of the flock, come in a few days, I'm still going to be journeying with you. We're all going to the same place. Whether the fact that I hold you in my hearts, whether it be as a fellow pilgrim or as a friend. Because I've been pastor, but when I'm no longer pastor, I still remain friend. And I'm looking forward with, with great hope to one day, the next life, resting with you. Maybe sipping an old-fashioned. Maybe having a steak that's medium rare with some extra garlic butter, but particularly, most importantly, participating in the love of the Trinity in the Father's house. Amen.